most turnkey providers are experts in their market and they know where the niches are. Like where's the best combination of cash flow and less risk because there's higher cash flow and riskier areas, but they're not trying to put that on you. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. If you like our show, the easiest way for you to give back is to leave us a rating and review on iTunes. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions on how to do that. We would be so grateful. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. You're listening to the Road to Family Freedom. Our guest today is a lifestyle entrepreneur and successful real estate investor specializing in turnkey rentals at Hipster Investments. She holds a master's degree in both aerospace engineering and spiritual psychology. So not only is she smarter than all of us, she's also got the heavens figured out and she knows how to get there. (laughs) Allie Boone, welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to do this one. I love the I love the premise of what you guys are talking about. Well, thank you very thank much. You. We've been uh, you've been on our list for a while, and serendipitously, uh, actually, I think you had somebody reach out to us, so it was uh, we're glad to happen. It's meant to happen. the The heavens and the stars aligned. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, so let's uh, get right into it. Do you recall sort of an aha moment for when you decided to get into real estate investing? I actually, you know, it's funny. I didn't have an aha. It was kind of a, it kind of snuck up on me, sort of. Um, It was interesting because I had a corporate job and I was for basically from minute one of being in my corporate job, I was trying to figure out my way out. And I knew just, I was reading books and this was not before the internet, but it was before there were so many resources on the internet. So I had every hardcover book possible And I had kind of deduced that the only ways I was going to get out of my regular job and kind of be on my own was either go in business for myself or get into real estate. I didn't really know what that entailed exactly, but those were the two avenues I really kind of pursued. And ironically, a few years later, um, as I was still kind of researching stuff, I had decided to go into business for myself. And I ended up a couple weeks later, just randomly this real estate investment. I of course had signed up for every email as possible because I was trying to everything not to work my corporate job and a real estate deal had kind of landed in my inbox. I was like, Oh, this will be something to entertain me. It was like a webinar and you know, I could, I could kind of whatever. And so I, I watched the webinar and I was like, wow, I, I actually kind of like this. And so even though I was trying to find my way out of corporate, I decided, well, while I'm stuck here, I might as well do something smart with my money. So while I still have a W-2 paycheck and I can still afford things and, you know, whatever. And so I was like, well, I'll just start investing kind of on the side. And that doing that, I ended up meeting a lot of people. There was all sorts of networking going on. And just really one thing after another kind of laid itself out. And the next thing I knew, I was quitting my corporate job to run my real estate investment business. Who knew? Very good. Awesome. So I, I've heard you interviewed before, and I, I know this story, but I'd love to hear you recount it, that your first real estate investment was in a third world country. Is that correct? <laughs> I was like, well, I know where this one's going. It was. Yeah, that was I'm sure you... 
<laughs> that was the webinar that landed in my inbox that uh, started my whole career. It was a uh, it was in Nicaragua, which for the record, I had to map where that was first. I I don't know where I thought it was, but I didn't realize it was in Central America. And the the webinar was about it was a pre construction development. And a whole a whole slew of big players were in on this, like Wyndham Hotels. Like this was a big deal, and you and this was right after I had just kind of explored some properties around Los Angeles. That's where I live, and I was like, oh, I'll find a rental property and whatever. And I was I, so I was looking at the price tags on these properties. I couldn't figure out where the returns were, and all of a sudden, this invite shows up in my inbox inbox for beachfront bungalows starting at $99,000 with an option for seller financing in Nicaragua. And I thought, you know, if I can do anything to ruffle people's feathers, I'm all over it. Like I like to do anything that makes people go, huh? (laughs) What are you doing? (laughs) So I was like, oh, well, what's better to do that than uh, beachfront bungalows that aren't actually built yet in a third world country. So I was all over it. And, And I will say that I didn't just jump on it for the excitement of it. I actually kind of I assumed it was a scam. And so I watched this webinar and I reached out to the people and I was like, well, I'm interested. And I was like, I'm snickering to myself. Like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to show them who's smarter. And they sent me a contract and one thing led to another. And sure enough, I actually ended up investing and it seemed totally legit. There were, like I said, big name players involved. And I got to go to Nicaragua a whole handful of times. And it turns out it's pretty much my favorite country on earth. Um, yeah, so it was, it was really interesting how it all happened. I thought it was just going to be kind of a ha-ha thing, but that the people I met through that, uh, investment were the people who, how I ended up getting into turnkey. So that's kind of where the whole thing started in Nicaragua, ironically. And then it kind of came back to the U S and turnkeys. And here I am, however, let's see what, seven, eight years later, knee deep in turnkeys all the time. So yeah, it was a good time. And did, um, were there any lessons that you learned from that deal, good or bad? Oh, yes. The lesson is don't invest in a third world country in something that's not built yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, as the famous uh, pre-construction development, even in the States, I've heard similar stories in the States. As the famous horror story goes, the development went belly up. The money suddenly magically disappeared and no one could figure out what happened. And to this day, I haven't gotten any of that money back. Supposedly, I have a settlement agreement. So the guy who was in charge of it, he supposedly is back and trying to redo all this. And we're all just kind of like, he's not even allowed in the country. We're like, how are you going to how are you going to do a whole development? All like, OK, let's see who invests with you. Supposedly, there's a settlement agreement. But the problem was. Um, so there's two kind of morals of that story. Number one, anytime you're dealing with developers and since being in real estate and talking to a lot more people who have invested in with developers, even again, in the States, things can just turn on a dime. So there's risk there. And just because you have a contract saying you're going to get paid out, doesn't mean they're not going to skip town or skip the country and you're never going to see it. Like that's a pretty realistic thing. Uh, the second moral of the story is once you're out of the United States, you really don't have a lot of um, leverage, if you will. Like if that happened in the States, like the government cares about that. The authorities care about that, all whatever. But they don't they kind of care about me in Nicaragua, but they don't really have a lot of authority. So you're really taking out a lot of safeguards. What what chance you might have to recoup and, you know, have the person dealt with or whatever. You know, you're in a third world country and 
there's been some lawsuits. Uh, some groups have gotten together, and I don't know that they've accomplished anything because of an arbitration clause and all sorts of drama. And you know, it's um, yeah. So you know, there are less risky investments. <laughs> I think what we can all take home from that. Um, but again, if you love third world countries, you know, I love a good adventure. And and I will say, for you know, there's a lot of people in real estate who are fearful. They're scared. And I lost my first $40,000 in real estate on my first investment. And that is really scary to people. But I can tell you, being on the other end of it, I have made every bit of that $40,000 up in other ways. It's what allowed me to start my company. It's what allowed me to get out of my corporate job. I basically got five or six free paid trips to Nicaragua, which were amazing. You know, the lessons I learned, everything I pulled from it is worth so much more than 40,000. So it's kind of a, you can, you can get in less risky investments if you're more fearful, but then as far as the fear component, you know, just because you lose some money right off the bat or at any point doesn't mean it's the end all. So that's, that's a big thing that I really took from that is it created my whole life now. And that's how I have to look at it. Not, it'd be nice to have that money back, but you know, it is what it is. Kind of like investing in college. You know, $40,000 yeah, education. Sure I'm more than 40000 in college now that you say that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. But yeah, it's kind of like going to school. You know, you, you don't you don't just magically get that money back, but the lessons and the information that you get from spending that, that money yeah. become money again because you're using the, the yeah. knowledge. So, I actually love that um, analogy and it's so true. You may not walk out with like a hard copy certificate degree, but you're you're in the school of hard knocks. Like that's that's where you're getting your experience. That's where you're getting the lessons. And that is real estate. Like it is on the job training more than you can prepare yourself to a certain level. But after that you have to learn from the experiences. You just have to I don't want to say you just have to dive in because I don't want someone to dive in too soon. But at some point you do have to dive in and just learn what you're going to learn. Yeah. Well, and I think it's also a lesson that real estate development is a an entirely different animal from buying cash flow real estate. So different. Um, and then for me to go to turnkeys from that, totally different worlds. <laughs> like literally yeah. the opposite. Yeah. And that's why I say like there's a big difference in going in pre-construction development in a third world country, to, you know, than things that are actually already performing, which is huge for people to understand. How did you like get into the turnkey market? How did you find that? Well, the guys who were kind of, um, they were the ones who had found this whole Nicaragua deal. And so they were my main contacts down there. They were actually in the States, but they were working with this Nicaraguan development. And they at the same time, so this was in 2011. And as we all know, that was kind of right in the heap of a crash. And at the same time, turnkeys had really, you know, turnkeys have been around forever, but they, they really made a name for themselves in this past crash because that's when it really, it became a con a, a viable concept and people were really looking at them. So turnkeys had started at this point and in 2011, they were already working with turnkey providers in Memphis and Phoenix. And I just happened to come in and meet them at the time they were more focused on Nicaragua. But as the Nicaragua stuff was going on and even before Nicaragua fell out, they were still interested in the turnkey side. So they were going around different markets. They were meeting different turnkey providers, really getting, I don't say familiar with the concept because they already knew about it, but really kind of, they were heading up, you know, finding good providers, finding good deals, really scouting out what was out there. 
and it happened to be that in a, I think we were probably even poolside talking about it at one point. One of the guys said, Hey, listen, you know, we work with turnkeys also. Uh, we've been in Memphis and Phoenix. I want to give you a heads up. We haven't told people this, but our next big market is Atlanta. And I know you're from Atlanta and, you know, I just kind of, you know, if that's something of interest, and I was like, well, yeah, if the next big market is somewhere that I'm really familiar with, I for sure want to check into that. So it was maybe a couple months later, I went to, I, I was going to Atlanta all the time anyways, because my parents still lived there at the time. But um, I met my first turnkey provider, toured around properties, and I was hooked immediately because one thing that had really kept me out of real estate was the idea of how much work it was going to take. I had no interest in finding deals, negotiating deals, rehabbing properties, landlord, none of it. I was like, I mean, I can do it if I have to, but I just, I'm not a hammer swinger. And so, but I didn't know there was an alternative. And so the minute I learned about the turnkey concept, of, you know, I don't, I, I'm not completely hands off, but for the most part, all the hard stuff is done for me. And it happened to be in Atlanta and the deals at the time were insane. My very first turnkey I bought for, and it was a nice, it's like, it's, I still have it. It's like, it was a great house, two stories, really cute. It was only $55,000 and it was getting 975 a month in rent. Like those are huge ratios. And so I was, I was on it. I was like, oh, well, I'm still going to Nicaragua having fun there, but I want to buy those properties and those are cash flowing and those are happening right now. And that's what set the stage for all of it. And I've been pretty much hooked on turnkeys ever since. So that first property was in Atlanta Mm -hmm. and it was, you were all in at 55 or uh, were you, so you had to, it was a cash purchase. No, well, we actually got a mortgage on that one. Uh, so it only took about 10 grand down, if I'm doing the math on that right, about wow. 10 grand down and a little bit for closing costs. Like, it's funny because people are, you know, they'll reach out to me now and they're like, hey, what kind of return, you know, what return do you get on your properties? And I'm like, you don't want to know. <laughs> yeah. You really yeah. don't want to know. And all of the, because the thing is, it was a lot of a market timing situation because we knew sure. Atlanta was about to boom. And all of my properties that I bought there have since doubled and tripled in value. And that's super great for me, but it's, it's not realistic today. And so, yeah, but yeah, so 10 grand in and uh, I was able to buy that first one. But then my question was, how can I keep buying more of these? How many sets of 10 grand do I have? And so one of my, um, a really close friend of mine for years, most of my adult life, he was, uh, doing some work overseas and he had a lot of extra money. Well, we ended up joining forces and I did all the work and took the mortgages and he put up the cash. So then I was able to scale because it was him. It was my sets of 10 grand plus his sets of 10 grand. So that, that made a huge difference. And it, it was, it got exciting fast. It was it almost became a little addictive. I mean, even in Nicaragua too, <laughs> Nicaragua, I ended up with the beachfront bungalow and buying a home site, which neither of them worked. But um, then once I bought the first turnkey, I was like, well, I want another turnkey and I want another turnkey. Like it, it's, it, I would say it became a yeah. problem, <laughs> but it was, it was, a, <laughs> it was a lot of excitement really fast, but it, it again, cause everything was on sale back then. Yeah. And so that bringing on the, your, your partner, allowed you to basically buy more deals or just bigger deals? Uh, more deals. More deals. Gotcha. Yeah, because the, the one major disadvantage with turnkey, so if you compare turnkey to doing it yourself, like you'd go out, buy a distressed property, rehab it, force the appreciation, you're able to recoup usually a lot more, if not all of the money, more than what you put in. Uh, wait, 
I totally tangle my words. You're either able to pull out the money that you put in in the first place, or at least most of it. And with the turnkeys, you know, you have to put 20% down uh, minimum plus whatever closing costs. And there's no way to force the appreciation on the turnkeys. That's the absolute major downfall to turnkeys is there's no, there's really no room for the appreciation. And so therefore you really have to have set sets of 20% down. And once you're out of those, you know, how many 20% downs do you have? Because you're, you're not really able to pull those back out. Yeah. And there's no real, it's not, not really an option to go out and try and borrow those funds, hard money, you know, anything right. like that. Yeah. Uh, for a couple of reasons, number one, the hard money, cause it's a long-term investment. So the hard money loan term would run out, but also uh, you can get a little creative on this, but yeah, wink, wink. <laughs> but the, when you get a traditional mortgage, they're going to check the source of all your funds. And so they may be yeah. the ones who limit, you know, if they say, no, you can't borrow the 20. Cause actually when my partner and I, I guess I'm safe to say that it wasn't illegal by any means, but it was a creative method is I could, you can't accept a gift as they call it of money. So if he was giving me 10 grand to buy this property, he would give it to me two months ahead of time and we'd let it season. So then when the mortgage uh, lenders would check for the source of all my funds, they weren't checking that far back because if they had seen him give me $10,000, they wouldn't allow that. So we got a little mm -hmm. creative on that front. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, that is the limiter. There is, um, this is probably a whole other conversation. There is another option with turnkeys these days. And I'm very cautious about saying this because you really have to know who you're working with because there's a lot of risk in this, but there are turnkey providers now. So for anyone listening who don't, who aren't as familiar with the turnkeys, once, when you buy a turnkey, everything is already done for you. The rehab, there's tenants in, it's performing and you get to verify all of that before you put a dime into it. And so really the turnkey provider is holding all the risk. And the other method to that is they still do all of the work as they would normally, but you fund it. So you buy the distressed property and you give them the money for the rehab. They do all the work for you. And on the, the reward for that is then you do get to keep the forced appreciation because you're the one who gets to keep the extra equity. So that is the mm. one slight caveat to the turnkeys where you can finagle it to not be forced to keep all your 20% in there. You can put, usually pull more back out once you do the cash out refi on the other end. Again, you have to be, I, I work with a provider who does this and they're phenomenal, but I've seen a lot of belly, things go belly up um, almost more dramatically than my Nicaragua stuff on that. So, you know, but that is something to keep in mind if forcing that appreciation is of huge interest and, but you kind of want the hands-off part of the turnkey. There are, combos, uh, combo options, if you will. Gotcha. So on a, on a traditional turnkey, you know, they're making the money. They're basically flipping, almost flipping the house to you because yeah. they've acquired it as a distressed asset. They're yep. rehabbing it and they're, they're selling it to you for retail. Yeah. And that's how they, that's how they make their money. Plus the management fees. Now, yeah, how is they, a, they really how is are. It? They're just flippers. It's, it's, that's their business model. I call them glorified yeah. flippers. They're just doing it on big scale. And then, so how does someone, how does the, the person who's doing the force appreciation, how are they, how are they making their money? They are, I don't know, actually, now that you say that, <laughs> let's see. I'm like, wait, if the investor does the distressed property, I don't know that I've ever asked because I don't know if I cared. <laughs> like all I know, yeah. I, get the, I get the force appreciation on the other end. Um, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure that's built into the rehab cost is my best guess. 
So if you gotcha. put, let's say you buy the property for 60,000, they put 40 in, I'm sure. And it, so you're a hundred in and now it's worth 120, 130. That extra equity is yours, but I'm sure their margins are built into the rehab cost. It would have to be. Gotcha. So talking about, you know, you're saying that some of these turnkey providers, you have to really know um, who you're working with. How do you vet, go about vetting a, a turnkey provider? It's, um, you know, it's, oh, turnkey providers. They are a funny, <laughs> funny, <laughs> like, oh, so many places I could go. Um, I a, a quick sidebar, I recently started a turnkey rental properties Facebook group. And every um, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I put out like a tip or a helpful something or another. And I think it was, I think it was this week. My tip said something about, I don't remember what it said, but it involved saying uh, something about how turnkey providers at some point hit a psychosis. <laughs> like, I, and I was like, <laughs> that one seems a little dramatic, but it's kind of true. Turnkey providers are funny. So if you I'm trying to think of which way I want to go with this. If you buy a standard turnkey, so you're not paying anything until everything is verified, technically at that point, the turnkey provider themselves doesn't matter because you're verifying everything about the property and who's selling it to you or what they're telling you doesn't matter because everything you need to verify, you can verify on your own. With that said, I say it's technically true because most of us don't know how to do due diligence on a property that well. So in the turnkey world, because it does attract newer investors and people who are not as in, in as deep in real estate, it does, you end up relying a lot on what they tell you. And so at that point, it does matter. And, you know, it's, you have to do your own due diligence. You have to, you want to get a property inspection. You want to verify that everything this turnkey provider is telling you is true. So it just makes life easier if you happen to work with a really good turnkey provider, because then you're not really swimming upstream to do all these verifications and whatever. And so as far as vetting the providers, it's, um, it's a little tough. Like how long they've, it, these days it's a little bit easier because a lot of the really good ones have been in business for a long time. Whereas in 2010 through two, 2012, everyone and their moms had started a turnkey company. So it was really hard to, it was, there were more of them to vet through. It was harder to establish proven track records. You know, the ones that are really up and trekking along today have probably been around for quite a while. And with me, it's so much in the communication. First of all, you want to make sure the rehabs are consistent. You want to, I let them tell me why they do what they do and how they do it. Like, how do you decide the neighborhoods and the markets? How do you decide, you know, such and such? And when they can explain that to me, that helps me understand. And I try and focus on the turnkey providers that, focus a little bit more on the nicer, not nice, nice, because you're not going to cash flow in an A neighborhood on an A property, but not, not dangerous properties. Like they, most turnkey providers are experts in their market and they know where the niches are. Like where's the best combination of cash flow and less risk because there's higher cash flow and riskier areas, but they're not trying to put that on you. So, so much of it's in the communication and Usually my answer to that is if you're brand new and you have no idea how to vet a turnkey provider or a turnkey property, work with someone who does. Like that's, that's the job I do. Like I help people do that because I've been in turnkey world since 2011 and I still get thrown through a loop sometimes. I'm like, wait, what's a red flag? And people that are smarter than I am on it say, oh, well, you want to be careful of that because of this and this. And so even I miss things. So I think the shortcut to vetting turnkey providers 
is work with my theory in life is work with people who are smarter than I am. <laughs> and, you know, once you get a couple, a couple of different heads that you trust in the, you know, looking at them, things make a lot more sense. And I feel like I gave a completely non-concise answer because it's, you know, it's, there's not a distinct checklist to vet a turnkey provider. There's a more clear checklist for the properties but the providers are a little bit of an interesting breed. And just for the record, customer service is not usually their stronger suit. So that can make it a little bit challenging. Um, so that, that sort of leads us to what you do at Hipster Investments. So you're, you, have, you have access to a lot of, you have a lot of experience with working with a lot of different turnkey providers, and you're able to basically help people navigate that, correct? Right. And that's, that's yeah. gotcha. Yeah. And so kind of the, the premise of when I started the company, it was really this idea of, because it started because people heard me excited about what I was doing. They're like, wait, what are you buying? And who are you buying through? Because kind of like this whole turnkey provider discussion is who do you trust and who should you work through? And so what I do is I, I have a pretty big network of turnkey people, uh, both on the provider side and on the side of the people who vet the markets and the turnkey providers. So with all of that combined, I, I have a pretty good feel for who to trust, who not to. And it's not a flawless system, but that's really where I come in. So number one, I can introduce you to people that I know have a proven track record. But then also over the years, uh, I used to call myself a glorified matchmaker. Like that was, you know, I'd match people to where they need to go and all that. But over the years with the turnkeys, I've definitely taken on the role of emotional support dog. Because like I said, a lot of newer investors are coming in, they're fearful, they don't know what's going on. And so I just kind of stay by their side and support them through the buying process. And then even once they own the turnkey, if any challenges come up, whatever, they can always reach out to me and say, hey, what, what should I do in this situation? And that's where, that's where I've, I've probably done more of that than I have matchmaking. So, you know, you bring up a good point, and I've actually heard you talk about a little bit about this, is that so much of real estate is not necessarily the deal, although the deal is important, it's just the mindset and getting yeah. over the fear, correct? Um, yeah, you know, I would, I think that's totally true. I actually uh, have a book coming out soon. I wish it was out now so I could offer it to you guys, but in the next month or two, um, it's actually called Not Your How-To Guide to Real Estate Investing, and the whole thing is about mindset. And, you know, with real estate, it's, the deals are for sure important. The numbers are especially important, but ultimately what's going to make or break you as an investor, in my opinion, is your mindset. Because number one, I always say like, if your mindset's not correct, there's no how-to guide in the world that's going to help you. And you have to have a certain mindset. And like we talked about the failure with Nicaragua, you have to be okay with that because it's just, you know, there's a lot of investors who get in, they invest kind of on the side, no big deal. And they really don't have many big problems. Like there's no major financial loss. Things just kind of go smoothly. But for a lot of investors, things don't always go smoothly. And it's the mindset that is going to carry you through that or make you stop. And it's the same, you know, I have my own company, I'm an entrepreneur. And it's the same mindset for that is, it's not so much what happens with the business or the business decisions. It's whether my mindset's in the right place and I can withstand whatever the challenge is. So that's, you know, whatever facet of real estate, turnkeys are one of the easiest um, things you can do in real estate, but there's a lot harder things. If you're flipping or rehabbing or whatever, it's, yeah, you have to learn, you have to, you have to take some self-initiative to learn how to do those things because we didn't learn it in school, but you've got to have the confidence to know that if something doesn't go quite right, 
it's okay. I mean, it can be frustrating. It can be challenging, but it doesn't say anything about you personally. It doesn't say anything really personal about anyone. It just is what it is. And how do you overcome that and learn from that? Because that's really the most successful investors in the world, at least in my opinion, are the ones who persevere through the challenges. I mean, it's, it's almost like a rite of passage. So yeah, I a hundred percent agree. Like if you just happen to have a very natural skill set, and it all comes really easy to you, cool. Like mindset not may not be a player, but that's not most of us. So, you know, if you can go in with the right mindset, I think it changes the whole course of your success for sure. Do you have a title for your book yet? Because by the time this podcast comes out, it, it may actually already be out depending on you know, <laughs> schedule and that kind of stuff. So yeah. we can, we can always promote it. Yeah, for sure. And um, it is called Not Your How-To Guide to Real Estate Investing, Life Lessons on Hacking Your Mind Before You Hack Your Wallet. Um, and so yeah. if you, by the time this comes out, if that book is out, but if you, um, I'll, I'll, I have some, I have another something or another to offer your listeners, but if you contact me through that, um, if the book's out, you'll for sure get notice about it. And, you know, I'd love to hook you up with a copy and, you know, tell me you found me on the podcast and we'll, we'll see what we can do. So with turnkeys to get back to the subject pivot, um, <laughs> with, with turnkeys, how do you kind of select the market to invest in with a lot of single family homes? You know, we're looking at cash flow markets. Um, there's like a lot of that goes into that. I'm sure that the turnkey provider probably does a lot of that. Are there specific markets that this is more viable in? Yeah, for yes. sure. The The turnkey providers pretty much do all of that. What we do on our end is verify that we like the markets ourselves. And so for a turnkey provider, so you can buy a property in turnkey condition. It could be the property next door to you. It just means it's rehab, no work is needed, tenants are in, it's cash flowing. But when we're talking about the turnkey uh, properties, they are coming from these companies who this is all they do. And so for a company like that to exist, they have to be in a market that number one, has cash flow opportunities, and number two, has enough distressed inventory that they can keep this going. Because by the time they set up shop and get their businesses going, they need to be able to do this for at least a few years. Because as anyone in real estate knows, markets change all the time. Like I've said, my turnkeys came from Atlanta, and that was what, seven years ago. And I don't recommend Atlanta now for turnkeys at all, because everyone walked in there, they bought everything up, prices soared, returns are squeezed now, you can still get cash flow there, but it became a very saturated market. And that's a normal market cycle. So the markets are always changing. So they need to be in a place where they can at least be for a few years, they're probably not going to be there for a lifetime, but at least a few years to justify their business costs. And you know, they they are market experts. So by the time they learn the markets, and they know what they're talking about, and they know where to get the deals, they it's got to sustain for a while. So and then on, so that's on their side. And then our side, for instance, Memphis is one of the most popular, famous turnkey markets possible. It's been going since at least 2010, if not a little sooner. Um, and people today, one of the first markets out of their mouth, they're like, oh, I'm looking at Memphis. And I've never been a Memphis fan. Like, I don't like the fund the market fundamentals about Memphis. I don't have an interest in investing there. I don't, whatever. So you end up with a whole pile of markets that the turnkey providers end up in because it meets their criteria. And then of those markets, what we do 
further removed from it is decide which of those markets do we do we agree with their assessment? Do we want to support that market? Like if a turnkey provider right now is in Detroit, I'd be like, um, you know, uh, okay, yeah, uh, yeah. maybe. I, uh. <laughs> but so that's a little, too, you know, little too early for my blog. It's definitely a little too, let's say, where are we? August 2019, you know, if someone listens to this in two years, it may be a totally different story. Uh, but I'm with you. It's a little bit too soon for me. Um, but that's, you know, so that's what we look at um, because there's kind of different layers to this. There's the turnkey providers who they're the techie people. They're the ones who are good at finding deals. They're good at rehabbing. They're good at, you know, they're good at all of the hands-on stuff that they do. What they're not as good at is the customer service side with a couple of exceptions, but for the most part, customer service is fairly atrocious with turnkeys, but like they're not portfolio strategists either. Like if you're an investor and you're like, Hey, I have a certain amount of money and I really want to, I want to maximize this. Like I want to really build out my portfolio. They're going to look at you and be like, uh, okay. Does that mean you want to buy a property? Like what, what do you want? Whereas the different layer of it, like my, me and the people that I work with, we're the ones who can do that. We assess the different markets that the providers are in. We can vet the different market or the different turnkey providers. We can help with portfolio. We're kind of a customer service buffer that kind of thing. So just, you know, understanding the different layers in the equation. Um, but yeah, so the markets are always changing um, and they are only in certain markets. So a lot of people say, well, I want to buy a turnkey in, I don't know, um, Vegas, for example. I'm like, well, but there's not any turnkey companies in Vegas. Like it's, it's not a market conducive to their business model. So yeah, they're in very specific markets, usually in the Midwest. Uh, in the southeast, and a couple here and there in the northeast. Any common pitfalls that someone should look out for when um, working with a turnkey provider? Other than the psychosis that inevitably sets in. It's funny because you know it's actually that brings up. Let's let's sort of pivot here for a second because that you know this is a common problem that people you know they get involved with. Uh, property manager. Oh my God, my property manager is so great. Mm-hmm. So amazing. They take care of everything from him. And the next thing you know, they're in an insane <laughs> asylum or they fled the country. Or they, we had one guest that we interviewed where they fled the country mm-hmm. with all of their deposits. Oh. And, and I think that's what you mean by psychosis, you know, because yep. it's a really hard property management. It's a really hard job yeah. uh, as you are finding out right now. Uh, and I, I do wonder if there's just a point where they just snap. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and it's funny, it's funny that you say property management, because those are the two, uh, being in turnkey world, obviously, I deal with a lot of property managers, too. And the turnkey providers themselves and the property managers, of all the people in the equation, those are the two that lose their minds every time. Um, and from what I've observed, what I think happens, and I it kind of, it, it makes more sense to me is what I've seen, and especially with property managers. And like you said, you get on with this property manager, they are just gold. They are just rocking your world. Everything is flawless. Well, what happens when that's the case? Well, you're going to tell everyone about them, as does everyone else. Well, all of a sudden, and the same with the turnkey providers, everything's great. Oh, man, you got to buy a property from this guy. Like, this is phenomenal. Well, the more people that they get, the number one reason that I, well, at least, in my observation that I've seen that people lose their minds is they grow too fast. 
And they are, like I said, turnkey providers are really good at what they do, which is rehabbing. It's finding deals. It's whatever. It's not necessarily running a business. Like it's running a business is such a different skill set than the trade or the skill of what you're doing and, or what the business is doing, I should say. So very often property managers and turnkey providers both are not good at scaling and getting bigger. So, you know, think about a turnkey provider, everything's going phenomenal. Well, but now they have so much demand, they have to bring in a B team contractor side rehab team. Well, what happens when the B team comes in? Well, the rehab start to the quality goes down. And then, you know, things spiral fast and same with property managers, all of a sudden, they're so busy, they've got to bring in the B side handyman, they've got to hire people and half the time they accidentally hire idiots. And you know, everything spirals fast. And so it's really kind of a, and it's not to scare people away from it. It's just kind of a, have it in your awareness that who is phenomenal today may not always be phenomenal tomorrow. And that's your role as the investor with turnkeys. It's so easy to think that you can be a hundred percent hands off. And I'm one of the culprits of calling them hands off properties, but it's not true. You've got to be willing you're still the owner. You've got to be willing to step in and make changes if necessary. If your property manager starts to suck all of a sudden, you you got you need to do something about it. Fire them and get a new one. And it's easy to remedy, but you know, to have it in your awareness that things can change quickly. But again, this is one of the advantages of working with people who have been involved in this and who know what's happening. And, you know, it's it's you know, the good news is luckily if a turnkey provider loses their mind chances are it's not going to affect your property a whole lot because you verified everything before you bought it. And if they, you know, flee the country or whatever happens, it shouldn't make a big impact, but occasionally it, it does matter. So yeah, that's when I say the psychosis that sets in, it, it definitely is not to scare anyone. It's just, it's a reality of business. It can happen with any business. Like businesses have a really hard time growing a lot of times because they don't know how to do that properly. So and same with market cycles, like get in on a good market when it's early and when the turnkey provider is happy and smiling and motivated and keep doing that. You know, it, you don't have to stick with them through their psychosis. Yeah. <laughs> we interviewed um, a short-term rental guy recently named Michael Hamilton mm -hmm. uh, runs Liveswell, And one of his great pieces of advice was um, get your systems and processes in place while you're still small. Yeah. And then start to scale, pour some gasoline on that fire and get it burning hotter. Whereas if you don't have your systems processes in place and you then pour gasoline on the fire, now you've just got a brush fire. Yeah. Yeah. And man, I wish he could give that exact advice to all the property managers and turnkey providers. Cause that's a, that's a hundred percent. What happens is they don't get their systems and all that in place. So then when the, the boom does happen, they just, I mean, they go crazy pants. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not, you know, um, there's a, a fairly uh, notorious sort of turnkey person right now. I don't really want to, I don't want to say his name, but he's a, a television personality who's gotten oh, a lot of trouble. Oh, I know who recently. you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, and, he's done a lot and, of damage to the turnkey name. He has. And, and I don't, and I don't know, and I don't, I don't know him personally. And I don't know that there is, um, any larcenous part on his side, mm -hmm. my guess is, and I don't know for sure. I don't really, I, I'm not, I'm maybe the people who've lost money feel differently, but my guess is he just got overwhelmed. And like, like so many turnkey providers, he 
grew too fast and started partnering with people that were not so good. Yeah, the rumor is I don't I don't know the ins and outs of what happened either, but the rumor is that the company and I was I've always been a little unclear on who is in which part of the equation, but you said he brings people in. There was a company that he was working with directly and they apparently were the bad ones and he got kind of yeah. tangled up in it supposedly. I I don't know, but you know the the lesson of if anyone knows who we're talking about or whatever, the ultimate lesson to take home is due diligence. Like you need to know that because I think a lot of people bought properties that either didn't really exist or had accidentally burned down before they closed or something <laughs> like, and, and that was the big thing. It's like, wait a minute. I, I appreciate your frustration and how bad, you know, you're kind of hosed over here because you bought a property that doesn't like have a roof on it or something. But at the same time, this is what I was talking about a lot earlier is, you've got to do due diligence. Like there should be a property inspector who goes to the house. And now if the property burns down three days before closing, you probably wouldn't have much of a chance of knowing about that. That was one of the stories I heard. Um, yeah. But, you know, a property inspector who should be third party is should relay a lot of that information to you. And again, this is one of the big things that really put turnkeys, uh, gave turnkeys a bad name back in the crazy days of 2011 and all those especially with international investors, because turnkeys were so cheap, you could get the $55,000 phenomenal property that rents for a thousand a month. And especially with international investors, there were a lot of people out there who knew those international investors were never going to check up on anything. And there were people, companies who are fortunately out of business now, but they sold them totally bunk properties that they advertised as phenomenal and turnkey. Well, you can't do that. Like you can't, I mean, they can't do that, but as an investor, you can't put your trust a hundred percent on the other person. It is absolutely up to you to verify that you're getting what's advertised. And I try and tell people like these turnkey providers are giving you a product. After that, it's really up to you to ensure that you're getting the product that you want and that you are expecting and whatever. These are not these aren't salespeople. They're not, you know, they're not trying to sell you a scheme. They're just, they're providing a property. So you verify the property just like you would if you were doing it all yourself. But yeah, that, that company that you're talking about, that's, I, again, I don't know the ins and outs of exactly what happened. Um, other than we're all kind of suffering from the bad name of turnkeys now because of it. Um, but I, I just see such a big hole of, lack of investor due diligence. Again, new investors don't really realize that they need to do that due diligence. So that's, you know, lack of education is part of it. But you as the investor have to take some responsibility for verifying what you're about to buy. Yeah, it's probably, it, you get a lot of newbies that are like, you know, that that go towards that turnkey and they probably yeah. don't know. Yeah. That, that They don't know what to look for. They don't know how to do the due diligence, which... I imagine, mm -hmm. you know, that's perfect. Yeah. And that's there's, awesome. so there's some kind of, there's a mindset that I've seen when, uh, because they are considered kind of hands-off rental properties, which I get it. You in theory should be totally hands-off, but it seems like over the years that I don't know if it's the marketing of turnkeys or what happens, but there's something in people's brains that tells them I don't need to ever do anything. And I, you know, everything's going to be taken care of for me. Well, uh, okay. But like some people would own a property and let's say, I think I heard a story one time that like a dishwasher had 
malfunctioned or something and flooded the kitchen floor and the and because we we always touch base with people like you know hey how's your property going any hiccups any you know what can we help you with and they're like oh well I had this unexpected seven thousand dollar repair that kind of beat up my cash flow and I was like I'm sorry seven thousand for what and this dishwasher had malfunctioned and flooded the kitchen floor and I said of course my first question was well did you call your insurance company? And they're like, Oh no, I didn't think about that. I'm like, um, uh, okay. (laughs) Like, you know, it's, it seems like the marketing of turnkeys has given people the idea that they can just turn their brains off and not have to do anything. And that I think has been, I've tried to adjust my verbiage and my marketing and, all that because that's not the case it just you know again it does attract a lot of brand new investors and and one and there is a reality i think if you're gonna own real property like if you invest in notes or reits or syndications or you know things that really are pretty hands-off and someone else is doing the work that anyone can do that but at the point you own real property i think it's a reality that not everyone should own real property because at some point you need to be willing to put your foot down. You need to be willing to make a decision. You need to be willing to potentially stand up to somebody. And some people just don't have that in their personality. And for quite a long time, we were getting people who were like that. They just couldn't bring themselves to step in and manage their own property, not literally manage their own property, but manage their investment. Um, And I was like, Oh, okay. So we need to not, it's great. Turnkeys can absolutely allow people who wouldn't otherwise get into real estate, get into real estate. And and I'm one of those people. I probably wouldn't have done it if I had to swing a hammer. And so there, there's that, the good side of it. But on the other hand, it, they can be tempting for people who maybe real estate's not their, not quite their thing. So, you know, finding a balance in the marketing has been kind of one of my goals because I don't want to lure you in if it's, it's, not something that's really, you know, that you can handle later on. And not to say it always goes bad, but you have to be willing to make some moves sometimes. So um, you've done a lot of these turnkey properties over the years, um, but you're just now becoming an actual landlord. What what was... (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) Yeah. um, So... Over all these years, yeah, I was I was a writer for a long time, and my big things that I've been always been preaching is positive monthly cash flow, um, not buying for appreciation, not landlording your own properties, everything. And sure enough, I went in with some partners last year and bought a duplex local to me in Venice Beach, which is negative cash flow, pure speculation. Uh, and I'm the landlord. And I was like, wow, um, it was, it's been a, it's been a phenomenal learning experience for me. And I really learning to be a land, I had to learn to put my foot down. You know, I, I talk about people not being willing to put their foot down. I was a little bit of a wussy myself. It was always easier with property managers over the phone. Cause you know, I'm not right in front of them, but now I had tenants and I inherited in one of the units of the suplex, I inherited a tenant that still haunts my dreams to this day. Like I, I am just, I'm like, Oh, I I don't, this woman just, Oh, and I had to learn very quickly to how to stand up to her and she didn't make it easy. And so I, I really grown as a person because of this, but, um, it has confirmed everything I have ever preached about why you may not want to landlord your own property. Like, you know, I have to, uh, I have to go meet hand, dealing with handyman. Oh, and if I was handier myself and I could do a lot of the repairs, it'd be a totally different story, but I'm not good at that stuff. 
So I have to have a handyman and handymen are as bad at communication as turnkey providers or worse. And so trying to wrangle them in and wrangle tenants. And right now one of the units is vacant. So I have to show the property and I'm like, this is why I don't do this. <laughs> it's like, man, I, I get that it's some people's cup of tea, but it is not mine, but I, I'm still going to do it because the property is only a mile from me. And it's a, it's a higher end property, which makes my um, clientele and tenants for the most part, you know, a, a higher caliber of people, except for the crazy ones. But um, yeah, it's, it has confirmed everything I have always preached about why I don't like landlording. So the, the greatest tip I've ever heard about landlording your own properties um, is to never tell the tenants that you're the owner. Mm-hmm. Always pretend just be the property manager to give yourself some insulation between, you know, sort of take the decision off of you. Say, oh, I don't you know. Let me go talk to the owners and see what they say and come yeah. back and go. Yeah, the owners. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember I was running when I was at uh, I went to grad school at Georgia Tech and I was living in Midtown Atlanta and this woman who told me she was my property manager, we, we ended up real, I think I was there for a couple of years and she was awesome. And for the longest time, I thought she was actually the property manager. And towards the end of it, she finally fessed up that she was the owner. I was like, you've been the owner this whole time. I was like, well, who are you calling when you say I have to go call the owner and get his permission? And she's like, myself. (laughs) You scammer. (laughs) But yeah, that's, um, and I'm, I'm fortunate in that because I think there's different layers of landlording. Like if, you know, if you're the, I actually rent my apartment that I live in now and the man, the property manager of this unit has like 30 some units. And I think in those cases, when you have a much less personal relationship with your tenants, that it's an absolute good protection, you know, and it depends on what kind of caliber tenants you're, you know, are you renting really cheap apartments? Are you renting higher end, whatever it is. And the fortunate thing about this property is it's a really nice higher end property. And one reason that I'm showing it myself and I'm not going through a real estate agent for it is I want the personal relationship with the tenants. Like I'm not in this to, I don't say slumlord, but I remember uh, one of the first applications I got on the open unit was these two girls straight out of college, had no money, but their parents were rich and were going to co-sign. They both drove Beamers. They were like 24 years old. And I was like, that is not what I'm in this for. Like the woman who ended up renting the apartment, uh, my parents were in town one time. We all had a glass of wine together. Like I want, I really strive for those people that I can have, not a personal relationship and depth, but you know, we're cool. We're not running off of a contract. If they have a problem, I'm going to accommodate They're, You know, you throw me a bone, I throw you a bone. That's, that's how I like to do business. And fortunately this property is nice enough where I can get those people in. And I, and I wait until I find those people. Like when I'm showing the property, I'm not in this to fill the place and to get the numbers. I'm in it for my life to be easier. And and when the units are full, my tenants are so phenomenal that I really don't have to do a lot. Occasionally, I still have to meet a handyman or something, but it, you know, they make my life easy, and that's what I look for. But that's something for people to consider, that if you are going to landlord or buy a rental property, who are your tenants going to be, and what kind of relationship are you going to have to have with them, and is that something you want? Like, it, Because if you, the lower end you get, the cheaper properties, the more dangerous areas, Like, it's it's a whole different dynamic than what I'm dealing with out here. And I still don't like landlording, but I have definitely the better end of it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with the, I mean, maybe not the landlording piece, but what does a le- like a day in the life look like for you? How much time are you spending on your, um, the hipster investments business? Oh, 
that is a uh, loaded question. Um, I swear, I, <laughs> no two days of mine are the same at all. Um, I am so all over the place. So it's kind of cool. So the turnkey is very minimal time. Um, I had a conversation with the property manager actually just before we started recording. It was very brief. There was a hiccup with a maintenance charge. Um, I on the turnkeys, I probably spend if all if everything is going normal. I probably spend an hour or less a year. I mean, it's very, very minimal. And occasionally it's just an email here and there. The property that I'm landlording, when both units are filled, very minimal time. I mean, I it was funny because last year we had bought the property. And when the tenant was moving in the back, I was in touch with her so often that, you know, because once they moved in, there were a few more things that needed to be repaired and stuff like that. And so at one point, a couple of months had gone by and I hadn't talked to her at all. And I was like, weird. Like, I, I felt like I should be doing something. <laughs> and I was like, oh, is this the life of a lamb? I don't have to do anything. This is cool. So when everything's going, it's very minimal time right now. It's vacant. So I'm having to spend more time showing it and uh, dealing with the handyman. But even still, it's in the comparison of things, it's not bad. Hipster investments, very much like a real estate, um, uh, like a real estate investment, you can be as busy in your business as you want or as least busy. So hipster really, like I can go travel for a week or two. I could probably even do it for a month and nothing changes. I have employees. They are handling the day-to-day stuff. I'm really kind of more on the innovation side. You know, what things are we doing next? Um, and then I, if there's an email or a client, something or another that they need me for, they can reach out to me. Um, so I've really purposely set up that company where not only do I not have to work on it all the time, I can, it's all online. So I can travel anytime I want and take my laptop and still work, which is huge. I'm a freedom girl. Like I want location freedom. I want, I, I could, we were talking about Vanagans earlier. I could hop in a van again and go travel wherever I want to for as long as I wanted to just with my laptop and still work. So that is huge. And, um, but I, you know, general day, I'm, such a mutt. Um, I I guarantee you, I'm probably more likely working on hipster at midnight than I am during the day. Because during the day, um, I teach flying as a fun side gig. I go play at the airport. I go work out. So yeah, I have no two days that are the same. But I can tell you the general theme of all of everything I do is do as little of it as possible (laughs) via, you know, like outsource, because I don't want I, a quick, a super quick story of why I love property managers and being hands off instead of landlording myself. Speaking of Nicaragua is one time I was in Nicaragua, I was in the pool, I had a pina colada in my hand and my phone rings and it's the property manager on one of the properties in Atlanta. And he said, Hey, a storm just blew through and took half your roof with it. I was like, Oh, that sounds discouraging. And I said, what should I do? And he said, well, call the insurance company. So I hang up with him. I'm still in the pool, mind you in Nicaragua, third world country. And I called the insurance company and said, Hey, lost part of a roof. They said, okay, cool. What's your property manager's number? We'll coordinate with him to send the adjuster out. I was like, cool. Appreciate it. Claim started. Popped the manager a message saying, Hey, the adjuster is going to call you to schedule. I literally did nothing else ever for that whole thing. And I, I sat back and I was like, you know, if I was a landlord on that property, what would have had like, would I, first of all, I'd probably have to put my pina colada down, but then like, would I have to fly out <laughs> to go deal with it? And then even if I go to the property, I don't know how to fix a roof. Like, you know, the, the work, I, I literally in that whole thing, never put my pina colada down and, or got out of the pool. And it took maybe 10 minutes of my life and a roof had just blown off my property. Like 
that gave me such a perspective of why I pay those property manager fees every month. It's so I can stay in the pool in Nicaragua. <laughs> it's exactly why I do it. But, you know, if that happened to my property here in Venice, I assume I'd have to, you know, it, that's a whole workload. And yeah, so that's really why I do the things that I do is because I don't, I don't want to be a slave to my investments. I don't want, I'm not looking for a second job. I'm not trying to work on them. I just want the actual investment component. And that really comes from not doing all the work yourself. And some people it's great for, like, if you have the skills and the interest, I totally get how that would be fun for you. Do it, like go for it. But I'm not one of those people. And so it really does become about the systems. It becomes about outsourcing. It becomes a situation of learning to manage people instead of managing properties or rehabs or tenants or whatever. You're managing, you're like the senior manager. You're managing the managers and the managers are managing the the more detailed components of it all. So yeah, that's why I do what I do because I, I do not like, it's even hard for me to teach flying because I actually have to show up at the airport at a certain time with like, an outfit on <laughs> and so I, that's why I keep it a side thing I'm like oh ugh. I, I so yeah the very long-winded answer to your question is no two days of mine look the same but they are all usually somewhat adventurous I can tell you that for good or for bad what other kind of systems do you have in place I mean you've said you have employees do you have anything that that you'd be willing or think people would be interested in knowing about Ooh. um Let's see. What's something cool? Um, I don't know if any of the systems themselves are cool. I'll tell you how I got to the systems is, uh, and this is uh, probably good for anyone starting out, whether it's starting your own business, whether it's real estate investing, whatever. The one thing, um, well, actually, I take that back. It's kind of a different story. So for the business, I started out doing everything myself because what I really needed to find out was what needed to be done for the business. And then I could decide what I could outsource and let someone else do. So for example, I used to do all the emails. Well, I was a writer on bigger pockets and I was getting, I was literally responding to emails from the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed. I was like, this doesn't seem very feasible. So eventually I hired um, one of my assistants. She handles most of the bulk of emails. And so it was really a piece by piece type of thing. On the contrary to that, with the, rental properties. One thing I hear a lot from people who are thinking about using a property manager instead of being the landlord, they're like, well, I should landlord the property first so I can learn, you know, whatever it needs, whatever a property manager needs to do. And then I'll hire the property manager. And while I agree with that theory for business, I don't agree with that theory for real estate because with business, it's harder because there's so many moving components. The the head honcho, if you will, would be the business owner. Like that's me. And I can't replicate that. I can get multiple people to cover different aspects of it. And I can figure out how to make them all work together. And, you know, it's a bunch of puzzle pieces. With a rental property, your only job really is to manage the property manager. You don't really need to know, A, how to fix a toilet, B, you know, how to screen for a tenant because they're the experts. They, unlike the business people, they can, they know all of the different facets of the one thing that you're trying to do. And so in my opinion, going back to my theory of make sure you work with someone smarter than you, they probably know how to do all those things way better than you do. And if your goal later is to build an empire or have multiple properties or whatever, you don't need to know how to fix toilets. You need to know how to manage people. 
so um, I think that, I mean, it's not a cool or fun answer at all. Cause I really, I can't think of a fun system or process for anything. None of them. <laughs> like, uh, I come from engineering world and you know, they love a good process, but um, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a, if you want, freedom and like you said earlier about you have to get or the guy you interviewed saying get the systems and the processes in place before you need them and I think one reason that people don't do that is number one it really sucks to develop them like it takes time it's boring it's like I you know whatever but by the time they actually need them it's kind of too late and so really putting an importance on how critical those things are, even if you don't like doom, and it'll seem like it's taking up a lot of your time to build them. But once they're in place, then you're good to go. And that's what's going to free you up to start innovating, start doing different things, whatever you want to do. Okay, last question, non real estate related. What's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? Oh, man. Um, The scariest thing I've ever done for fun. I'm like thinking of all the cool things I've done. And I'm like, was I scared? Let's see. I, I finally skydived. I, was, <laughs> I, I wasn't so much scared of that. Cause I'm used to little planes. Uh, I have volcano boarded down a volcano. I was kind of scared on that one, but not terrible. Um, I volunteer in prisons all the time. And for some reason I'm less scared there than I am walking around the free world. <laughs> Uh, I think this is the wrong question. But it's funny because I'm such What's a wuss in like thing? little random areas, like big things that would scare most people. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Um, I will tell you, yeah. I, I have no interest whatsoever in um, scuba diving. I, that I think would absolutely <laughs> terrify me to the point I pee my pants. Like I, I don't trust my swimming skills. I don't like big monsters. <laughs> well, big monsters, obviously. That's the vision in my head. Um, I don't, I'm not comfortable with things <laughs> swimming towards me. <laughs> like, um, no, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Scuba diving is not for you. Although peeing in your wetsuit is is not a faux pas. It's how you keep yourself warm. <laughs> hey, I like cold. that. I, I did uh, snorkel in Alaska one time. And because it was so cold, we had, I think, what was it, like seven millimeter wetsuits. And uh-huh. the near trauma, like panic inducing of like zipping that thing. I mean, it's like, <laughs> like oh. and I actually, um, it sounds so dumb, but snorkeling makes me really nervous. Like it takes, I did it in Hawaii, I think year before last or something. And after maybe the first 10, 15 minutes, I was totally fine. It was so amazing. There were like turtles and it was cool. But for the first 10 or 15 minutes, I was seriously breathing at a very rapid speed. <laughs> like, and I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, mm. Yeah. Sounds like you're more of a bird than a fish. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the things that do scare me are when I don't have an exit strategy. Like I actually have super funny last weekend, a friend, there was a surprise birthday party for a friend and it was at a pool in a apartment complex well me and my friend went to this apartment complex and we got lost in the apartment complex like we couldn't it was really oddly set up we couldn't find the door to the pool we couldn't find anything out I actually started getting nervous like I couldn't I because it's like well if I don't have an exit strategy (laughs) that's when I get like a volcano no problem things start erupting I just board faster like I have an out if I don't have an out for something that's when that's when I start panicking hello control issues so yeah, <laughs> uh, it's funny because Brit- Brittany and I actually Brittany and I met on a dive trip in oh, Hawaii. Oh, funny! Uh, 
both were di- were divers. Uh, and it's funny because I'm actually the most nervous I am on any dive is almost always when I'm up on the surface about to go down. Oh, really? Uh, and once I you do, get down there, okay. I, yeah. Yep. Totally fine. Cause Ooh. I feel, I feel a lot more vulnerable on the surface. Like, I'm like, I don't like, you don't belong. Uh, uh, like I, you're about to enter yeah. into someone else's world type of thing. Yeah. I'm like, well, you just can't see, you can't see quite as well. Uh, and there's a whole world, you know, the whole world underneath you that you can't really see. But once you get down there and you can kind of look around, it's not as, uh, it's not as nearly as also a lot of like, you know, at the, at the top, you're like getting everything ready and making yeah. sure that, I mean, like for me, even though I was I, like, I knew how to scuba dive, I was always like paranoid that I was doing everything right. Yeah. Kind mm-hmm. of, cause it was, I hadn't been doing it long enough for it to be like second nature quite, but you know, yeah. so it's kind of, it, it's. It's probably just like anything where it's has a mild danger component. Like yeah. you sort of are like, okay, well, make sure I've heard you're good. A lot and of then, my diver friends too that they get way more nervous snorkeling than they're like, oh, snorkeling's terrifying, but diving yep, is totally fine. Exactly. I'm like, oh, okay. My parents actually just um I was eating dinner with them. They live a couple hours from me and I was eating dinner with them a couple of weeks ago and somehow scuba my non interest in scuba diving came up and my mom reminded me apparently when I was like I don't know if I was like nine or 10 years old or something like that. We were at Six Flags in Georgia and they, I don't know if you guys remember, there was a a ride there that for kids that like you get in this little submarine thing by yourself and it takes you underwater. It's kind of like bumper cars, but underwater. Well, apparently my submarine got lost. And so like I saw all the other boats go back to surface and all the kids got out and they actually, a whole new set came in and I was floating off. My steering wheel didn't work anymore. And I was actually starting to kind of lose oxygen because it was a little tiny thing. And they ended up having to send like, like hardcore people into the water to chase down my submarine and pull me back out. And my mom said when I got out, like she said her face was white because she was like, um, hi, my, my kid stuck underwater. And so when I got out, she said my face was just like sheet white. And I was like, is that why I don't want to scuba dive? And she goes, well, what's the present? <laughs> <laughs> I was about to die underwater. So I was like, oh, yay, six flags. That, oh, I, it's a little childhood traumas. You never know. You never remember them. Well, listen, Allie, thank you so much for sharing with us today. As we said at the beginning of the show, you've got a book coming out soon, but you also, do you still have an ebook? I do. So I was actually going to offer your folks a free copy of the ebook. So the ebook is, well, a little funny here. It's called uh, Turnkey Rental Properties 101, The Definitive Guide to Hands-Off Real Estate Investing, which there goes my hands-off. I was like, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> so pretend I didn't say hands-off. I, we got to work on that. We're going to have to change that subtitle, I think. But um, yeah, it's it's an ebook that really covers kind of what I think for the most part, everything you need to know about turnkeys, it explains the different players in the game. Um, it opens with kind of me explaining why, I mean, I've said it a lot on here, but why I like turnkeys, why they've worked for me, um, what to look out for different market things, whatever. So happy to give your guys a free copy. If they, so I set up a uh, website just for your folks. Uh, if you go to www.hipsterinvestments.com slash road to family freedom. Um, it's just for your, your crew. And then, so if you get that, um, you'll be in our email system, whatever, you'll absolutely get notice of when the book's coming out. I'm hoping to, 
it was actually going to come out within the month. And I just, of course, decided to add a section to it. I was like, oh, of course, I would make my own life more difficult. <laughs> so it might be a couple months from now. But yeah, so you'll be the field. You'll, you'll know about it. We'll be offering discounts. Um, we'll probably make it super cheap in the beginning so we can try and get some reviews on it. Yeah, so definitely go get the free ebook and then be in touch anytime. There's links to how you can contact me on that page. Um, yeah, and stay in the group. And I love saying hi to people. So reach out, don't be shy. And yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, it was really great talking to you. Thanks so much. Well, thanks so much for having me. You guys are fun. And like I said, I love what you guys are talking about. Road to Family Freedom is kind of my my favorite thing. Like, how can we all be more free in our lives? So if real estate's one way to get there, let's do it. Awesome. Well, that was Allie Boone from Hipster Investments. It was great having her on and hearing her story and uh, getting to talk. We got to talk a little bit of aviation as well after, before and after, which was fun. So. <laughs> You're an airplane nerd. Well, that's what I do. <laughs> I know. Uh, so uh, for you, what was the key lesson? One takeaway that I had that I just thought was interesting and and might not be uh, super relevant to like buying turnkeys specifically, but that I think is really useful for people who want to get into real estate generally and have like systems and kind of offload things um, is to manage people, not properties or not the the small stuff. So really figure out, you know, your systems and how to, to get those things for other people to do. Um, there's a word there that I'm outsourced. That's the word that I'm looking for. Figure out how to outsource those parts that you don't want to or can't do and then manage the people that are doing them so that you uh, get your time back, which is, you know, for us, that's the um, that's part of the goal is to, to have that freedom of time. And so I think it's just a really good reminder that in whatever you're doing and, and part of, I guess, the turnkey piece is that you've already got those people that you're managing in place. Um, you know, she, she was very, you know, on it about, you can't just, it's not completely hands-off. Like once you've purchased it, all of those management pieces are in place, but you still have to, you know, participate in managing those people or, or figuring out, um, problem solving pieces for things that are above that particular person. So um, it's it's a lesson that is so useful that so that you're working on your business instead of in it, yeah. as we've probably said a bunch of times uh, before, yeah. and we'll keep saying it again and again. again. Uh, for me, uh, and you sort of alluded to it there, which is. Um, you know, take responsibility for your own due diligence. You know, this is, you're not buying a mutual fund. Uh, you're not buying a, you're, you're not buying into a syndication where there's going to be someone else uh, operating. It's not, it, it may be called a passive investment, but it's not just a completely passive investment. And you need to verify the things that the turnkey operator is saying, you know, find a, Find another property manager in the area and confirm their rental comps. Their the turnkey operator is telling you. Uh, find a real estate agent to do a broker, uh, BPO broker. Get them to basically, you know, verify that the uh, the property is going to, you know, that's the, what, it should, what it should basically appraise for. Um, mm-hmm. Take responsibility. Don't just think that oh, I'm just I'm taking some money and stick it in the bank and it's going to earn me a percentage and I'm not going to have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, even with other, you know, 
investments, you, you still do your due diligence in some way. You know, you you interview a financial advisor before you allow them to invest your money. Like you do some kind of due diligence. It's silly to think that in this, uh, that this would be the one place that you could just be like, fine, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> you do it all. It's it's fine. So, yeah. all right, well, let's run quickly through our our other pieces. So knowledge, how did she... I, I would say she she read a lot. She said she read a lot of real estate books in the beginning. Yeah. Um, but uh, it was mainly I would say it's learning by doing. She basically yeah. she bought School of Hard Knocks. Yeah. I contend she spent forty thousand dollars on a nice educational experience. Yep. And really, I mean, she got a lot of experience out there. That's that um, out of that that didn't apply strictly to what she's doing now. However losing that money led her to the people who got her into turnkey and stuff. So it was probably for her, you know, it was definitely well worth spending that money and and getting those lessons. And, you know, just like the school analogy, you also meet people at school that become, you know, part of your network and can help you in different ways. And and that's, you know, that's the whole thing with like fraternities and sororities. And and I would say even in some cases, that's more valuable than, the education. Oh, sure. You know, I mean, yeah. There's people, you know, not to knock the Harvard education, you Harvard grads, but with a lot of schools, it's, you know, you, you may learn the exact same thing. You can take classes from Harvard online. Uh, you can listen to lectures by the same, the same professors, but what you're not getting is that network uh, of other Harvard grads and the businesses that come through and hire people and, and things like that. Uh, it was a forty thousand uh, dollar guru program for her. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I guess that kind of covers the money piece. Did we? Well, let's talk well, about let's... it though, because she 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 spent forty thousand dollars on that. On that, but then yeah. we maybe we go down to her first turnkey deal. Yeah. Yeah. That one was the ten thousand cash down plus a little bit for closing, mm-hmm. um, and a fifty five thousand dollar mortgage. Yeah. And so it was that ten k down. I don't know if we talked about where it came from. I assume you know she had a pretty high paying job, but maybe it was just yeah, part of it came from savings. Savings, um, um, but, it, but it definitely. Um, and keep in mind, um, there's not a lot of fifty five thousand dollar homes that are renting for. Uh, almost a thousand dollars. Almost a thousand dollars. It's more than that. No, yeah, no it was ninety thousand dollars. Yeah, in Atlanta anymore. Uh, the she market, says that specifically. Yeah, she yes. said that specifically. The price point's higher, but um, it's still you know you're going to probably need if you're going to buy a turnkey property, you're more likely going to need come to the table with twenty percent down. Um, and we didn't get into you know she she sort of hinted at some of the ways you might get around that, and some of the ways she kind of got around it. Uh, was she basically had a partner who put them gave her the money and let it sit in her account for a period? We're not advocating that. Um, it is possible, um, but you know there there are a lot of mortgage providers will frown on that. They don't mm-hmm. like that. They don't they don't like having gifts in a gray funds. area. It's a gray area. Yes. Awesome. All right. So time. Allie has constructed her life to let her do whatever she wants. And we talked a little bit more to her, like on a personal end after the podcast. And I will say she really does what she wants when she wants for the most part and spends probably as little time as she can on the like 
management of her business. Now it sounds like she does do some content creation is, is what mm-hmm. I yeah. got a feel for. So for her, a lot of the actual management of the real estate investments is very minimal timing wise. And that's, that is again, like one of the benefits of turnkey. If everything is set up properly and you've got a good property manager, all those kinds of things is that it takes away a lot of the time piece because you're not having to find the property and, you know, rehab and do all those things. And you're not having to manage the property on your own. So um, I loved her story about um, being in the pool in Nicaragua with her pina colada. Yes. When the, when the uh, roof yeah. damaged yeah. the storm, I thought it was a great story. Yes, exactly. Well, and that's, I mean, that can be one of the huge benefits of not just, I mean, turnkeys, but also if you do want to put some, you know, some effort in on the the front end doing kind of like the single family burr method, sort of, you get the same sort of thing. And once you set everything up, if you've got a property manager, you're kind of hands off, you're not really doing much. Um, and, and you're just kind of taking in that cash flow and, and making a decision if needed. So, so uh, and she talked about, she said she spent as little as an hour a year on the turnkeys that are up and running. Yeah. Uh, and then she said, you know, I think she said kind of an average anywhere. She said sometimes six hours, sometimes more. Yeah, I think she just works on stuff whenever she feels like. Yeah. Could she do this strategy from anywhere in the world? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes she could. Miss Pina Colada sipping pool swimming in Nicaragua. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. So All right. awesome. Well, well, that was Allie Boone from Hipster Investments. Uh don't forget to grab a copy of her free ebook at hipsterinvestments.com slash road to family freedom. Uh, we thank her for her time. We look forward to maybe meeting her in person someday. So yeah, let's hit the road. Bye. Bye. And if you like this podcast, we would really appreciate it if you take just a few minutes and leave a review for us on iTunes. It's really simple to do. Just go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash review for links and instructions. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.